Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore. It's another episode. Today I talk to Daniel Rachel, writer uh, and absolute music aficionado and we go in on some wonderful records today and I get completely outnerded. Dan's knowledge of music is exceptional uh, and it's a lovely chat and you're going to get to hear it very, very soon. Um, ahead of that, uh, just a few thank yous. So um, I'd like to thank uh, Scribbis Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, I would like to thank 76 for producing this podcast and you lot um, because as we're finding ourselves coming out of this um, bananas year that we've had uh, the one thing that's kind of kept my brain ticking in a way that I like it to tick is, is by, by talking to people and staying connected with people and, and if those people are you know are, are really interesting creative people that that are prepared to give up their time and talk about that journey, then that's made me a very, very happy and privileged person. So um, the fact that you lot have continued to support and share and tweet and send me lovely messages and that um, is just the icing on the cake. So thanks to you lot for um, supporting this podcast. If it's your first time listening to Off The Beat and Track, then when you finish listening to my chat with Daniel, then go and explore... Uh, the back catalogue, you can hear um, some of the guests that we talk about on today's episode. Steve Craddock, um, you can go and listen to me talking to Steve. Uh, you can hear me talking to, um, I think, Fatboy Slim we, sp- uh, we talk about. So you can hear me talking to Norman. Uh, and, yeah, artists as diverse as, uh, oh gosh, where do we go? Um, Foo Fighters, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. Uh, gosh... Go and have a look, because there's 300 episodes. If you like your um, actors, then you can hear me talking to Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, Thomas Turgoose. Uh, if you like comedians, you can hear me talking to James Acaster, Ed Gamble. Uh, go and have a rummage, because you'll find stacks and stacks of episodes, and you'll find something that would tickle your fancy. If you'd like to support the podcast any more than um, giving us a like and love and a share and a retweet and all of that, Gubbins, then um, you can do that over on Patreon, uh, where I put up radio shows each week and video episodes and bespoke episodes for Patreon. So you can find out about that and everything else at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I think that's all you need to know. Um, I know why you're here, and it's not for me banging on about what else you can go and do. So um, 
please enjoy Off the Beaten Track podcast with Daniel Rachel. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beaten Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, stew with it. Okay, we are recording. Daniel, good morning. How are you? I'm very good. Yours is the first backdrop I've seen on Zoom where you have brick, like a brick Mm. wall behind you. Yeah. So it it kind of um, gets mentioned quite a lot. Most people kind of comment on on the backdrop like it looks like I'm doing some sort of stand-up in the 90s. Um, But it is, in fact, not brickwork. This was like three ninety nine a roll from the range. It's, you uh, faker! I know, I know. It is in fact and it's not another brick in the wall after all. It's my little garden bar, but I, I have to oh, kind of. Hotel booze up there in, in those metal containers. Yeah, like um, cleverly called the Whiff In. If you see what I've done there, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I try and hide the row of spirits. I mean, we're recording this at ten o'clock in the morning, so it's not. But it hasn't special- stopped the line coming down. You're directly injecting your alcohol into your ears. <laughs> That's it. It's mainlining rum. I've never done that. I've injected it in many places. Never direct into ear holes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, look, Daniel, before um, we get into discussing uh, the songs that you've sent over for your playlist, just want to ask you how you found... I mean, we're recording this also, I should say, on the uh, on Star Wars Day, on the 4th of May, uh, 2021. Day. May the 4th. What, uh, is this a, a Ronald Reagan thing, is it? I don't know what it is, but uh, I'm a bit of a Star Wars nerd, so uh, I will embrace it. Yeah, May the 4th. I see what they've done there. May the 4th. <laughs> um, I was thinking Thatcher and Reagan at Star Wars. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Choose. Straight up in the conversation. Right. <laughs> Track three, we'll get on to that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> um, so, before, yeah, as I said, before we get on to yeah. the, 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 the playlist, have you found the last 13, 14 months as both a human being and as a writer? Ah, uh, well... You, lockdown works on different, many levels, doesn't it? I mean, globally, it's, 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 it's very sad that we haven't, as countries, worked as one. You know, it, it seems that each country, despite the fact that it's a global pa- pandemic, countries have 
nestled down into themselves and not that we're not sharing and, and, and approaching the whole thing together, which is a great opportunity. And that's very sad. You hear very little about China's programme, about how they uh, they they were very quick off the mark and they had a, and they had a you know the antidote or the anecdote to the problem and 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 then we don't hear about that and and so many other countries and that's very saddening and then as one country gets better you know then as we're looking to the end of the tunnel then suddenly there's india yeah and that that's so sickening and sad saddening and yet only weeks before that you saw so many of that population uh not observing the rules and and going to mass kind of Events in the same way as the Brits have done at various different times, you know, when, when there's been demonstrations in, across yep. the country or when they were mm-hmm. pulling down the statues. So globally, it's been really saddening. And then politically, you would really hope that, that this would be a cross-party issue because it's an apolitical issue. And yes, yep. it's been made into a political issue. And, and as always, we look for the individual. So it's all Boris Johnson's responsibility. It's all Boris Johnson's fault. And, then, and of course, it's never like that in the same way it was never always Adolf Hitler. It was a party. And it's always parties, but we look for individuals. Of course. And so I'm saddened in a way by the politics of it. Environmentally, it's been, it's been very exciting. You know, just that idea of hearing I've seen birds, so many more birds just in our garden and feeding and being in, uh, and, and, and in different groups, walking into central London and there's very few cars or buses or taxis and there's a calm uh, and that, that's, that's really uh, invigorating. And the fact that when you, I've, I've, I don't know if you've noticed, Stu, but often when you have a conversation, you know, with somebody, uh, socially distance, of course, but people are prepared to chat for a little bit longer. Mate. I, I, honestly, um, is it right to call you Dan? You call me what you like. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 the thing is, Dan, I find that um, at the beginning of lockdown, uh, like, I, I like to have a, a daily run. Uh, and, and normally where I live in Essex, people aren't very friendly. And, and you know, maybe if you run past another runner, they'll give you a little kind of a, a, a nod uh, or, or a sly wave. But I found that when we first, when, when the world, when it felt like the country just stopped turning for a bit, them initial runs were just, it, you, you used the word calm and, and it felt calm. It was the sun was shining and I was running in the park and there was no aeroplanes and there was no traffic but already quite quickly people were starved of human connection and so not only were the runners waving but people on the other side of the road that were walking their dogs would be like morning and I was like this is glorious like this is lovely like there's total strangers now saying hello yeah, it's like when you go on a walk in the countryside, isn't it? It's and like what... hello, and you have a you, you have a lighter step as you go forward. Don't you? 100%. 100%. <laughs> I was like, all of a sudden, like this rough part of Essex has turned into the Lake District. People are like <laughs> saying good morning <laughs> to each other. The Lake District. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And, and as we kind of found our way coming out of the, 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 the first lockdown, quite quickly I was saddened at how that kind of normality that we 
you know, that was there before this started to kick back in people's yeah, heads back down again. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and I think that's a real shame. And I hope that the kind of, you know, something that I'm sure was quite, that was felt across the country, you know, in, in January and, and, and early February where it was just fucking bleak and miserable. And, and I think people were just yearning for some way out of it. And, and, and I think, I just hope now, as we do find our way coming out of it, that there is a little bit of that carried over where people remember that it's nice to sort of talk to strangers and say hello. Well, not not, not kids, kids don't talk to strangers, but uh, adults do it. Sorry, sorry, I interrupted. But how joyous right. was it to see those uh, kids in Liverpool, you know, at the, at the rave? And, well, uh, and and the, the smiles on the faces and just them all drunk and trying to get onto the cameras. And it was just a joyous celebration of people being together. I am... Um... I've I've run a nightclub for twenty eight years. That's what I right. that's that's what I do. I run an indie club in in Essex, and uh, and it's been the big part of the human connection that I've missed. It's been that not being able to to talk to or say hello to five six hundred people walking in my club every week. Right. Uh, and and so to see that 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 test event in Liverpool, and I couldn't care what the music was. I didn't. Uh, Youssef, I believe, was a DJ. I don't know who Youssef is. Uh, I thought it was, in, not, it was Harris Martin's man, wasn't it? Was it Slim, Slim Boy, Fat Boy? Was it? <laughs> wasn't I it, it was, Norman Cook? Maybe? Oh, I don't know. I didn't see that, but maybe he was there as well. I don't know. I, I saw someone like oh, playing okay. some kind of retrospective sort of 90s dance or rave classics. Well, that is but, him, isn't it? <laughs> I, I suppose so. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been Norman. Yeah, but, um, but oh, it was, it was just seeing that joy. Was yeah. just oh, incredible, yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. Okay, but, uh, but in the, the final part of your question, but in, sorry, yes, of course, as a writer, no, no, I mean, <laughs> but from a personal point of view, you know, as a writer, you know, it's 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 interesting because it's not dissimilar to what my my everyday world is in in a sense. It, 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 in that I'm, I'm I'm locked down uh, working on my speakers, person, but you can hear that there. Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. Booted it and it's working again now. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, but I mean, I've re- I, I've been involved. I've, I've I've been involved in many projects and written quite uh, quite a number of books over this last eighteen month period. The only difference is is that the reward of writing is the evening where you can go to a gig and jump up and down, or go to a pub, or you know, go to a comedy or cinema or whatever. That's that's the only other side of that. But but yeah professionally i guess it's actually been um no different than normal really okay well let's talk about some wonderful records and for track one dan i'm going to ask you to tell me uh the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please yeah, I mean, I've got to say, Stu, that I thought, I thought, you know, these these questions would be quite easy, but I've found that they've plagued my mind for quite Good. a number of weeks since, <laughs> since we first got round to the idea of doing this, and that it's just taken me by surprise. So my first instinct was I've always liked uh, records with accounting. So I, I, and I've got various examples of that. Like, uh, so obviously Paul McCartney going what. Too deep, far and straight in. Yeah. It's just, and then I thought of Jonathan Richmond, you know, yep. one, two, three, four, five, six, down, down, roll, runner, roll, runner. And then uh, a big one when I was young was uh, five, four, three, yeah. man from man. I was thinking a lot, of, and even um, 
Do you know the, what the B-side of Ant Music was? Remind me. Go on, do you know? No. Can you think it? Not at all. No. So, fall in, it's called. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You got to listen to the ants now. Do you remember that? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of my brain. See, this is the kind of nerdy stuff that I, I will like spend the rest of my day thinking, now what will be my top five songs that have cantings? And, yeah. Did, yeah. New, Radi- did new Radicals have it? I don't know. I think Do you know Radicals- the one I loved? Me and my mate Simon always used to think it was hilarious that, the, that uh, Too Much Too Young had a time on the record of two minutes, three seconds. But it was only over two minutes because Terry Hall says, too much, too young. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's live, of course. But, uh, but that, none of those are my favourites, uh, I don't think. I mean, I was, I was thinking of Tommy Gunn. That's brilliant. Mm. Clash. Like a Rolling Stone, Ticket to Ride. Substitute. But uh, Sweet Jane by The Velvets, that's brilliant. But I'm going to go for... Um, you, uh, you really got me, the kinks. You know, like when you have the seven inch of that on, mm-hmm. the loudness of Dave Davis's guitar, it's kind of full explosion of yeah. distortion and it sets up the record. And I don't think there's ever been a time in my life when that comes on the radio or you hear it on TV and you just go, wow. Yeah. That just that just says rock and roll to me. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I'm coming it's, with you. It's, it's huge, it, and, it, and it is. It's like as, as somebody that has DJed that record out a lot in the days of vinyl as well. There's lots of like records that were so poorly recorded back then that they're so quiet when you'd, you'd put them on. You'd always be like cranking it up, trying to get the sort of levels to stand. That is so much louder than so many records that come out at that time. And just the abrasiveness of that guitar sound, and it just, it's a call of arms straight away. You're just yeah. like, wow, what is this? And, and you know, a, a lot of people, you know, I've seen countless documentaries about rock and metal and things like that. And, you know, so many people reference that as potentially the first, like, rock riff or metal riff or, like, you know, the beginnings of, like, what will become heavy metal. Yeah, I, I don't care much for heavy metal, you know, leave those. No, nor do I, but... It's just the beginning of it all. Mm. And I love the idea that uh, I think Dave Davis put a needle through the back of his little speaker, you know, on Denmark Road in uh, in, in uh, um, Muswell Hill, and that's what got the distorted effect on the, really? on the guitar. And that Ray had written it, Ray Davis had written it on a piano. And, of course, he wouldn't have gone, nah, 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 you know, it, it would have been more how you play piano and yeah. probably more country, I imagine, mm. than anything. But, yeah, Dave Davis, I mean, just his contribution to that band, you know, the, 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 his, the strength of his backing vocals and the kind of guitar lines that he came up with, so integral to the kink sound. And then you get that wonderful... I was listening to a... a um, uh, Noel Gallagher was on a Bee Gees documentary that I just saw the other week, and he was saying that the combination of two, of, of siblings' voices is is unique in the world to those people. You can't you can't package that or buy it or sell it. And so him and Liam had it, and the Bee Gees obviously had it, and Dave and Ray had it in the Kinks. And it's a there's a tone, isn't there, a timbre to the voice that only they can have. And, and there's so many of the Kinks records. Probably, I'd put maybe to about the mid-70s, are just joyous. I can't be doing with when they become a rock band in the latter part of the 70s. Yeah, Even I, though, I, as you I say, agree. they may have invented it. 
There you are. And did Jimmy Page play on it or not? You know, that's the big question. What's this? Why have I never heard this? Well, they, 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 they've always there's always been the suggestion that because Jimmy Page, I think, played second guitar on that session uh, uh, on the "You Really Got Me" session, and then and then and that has led, I think, to people suggesting that he played the lead guitar solo. They've always said that wasn't the case, Ray and Dave. But you know, but in saying that, in the in the in the live footage I've ever seen of the Kinks in the sixties, I've never seen Dave replicate that kind of style of solo so who knows but i mean james jimmy page was on tons of those records wasn't he yeah in that period he played on i think he reckons about three thousand records in the 60s as a session guy <coughs> and john paul jones yeah 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 dusty springfield records with john paul jones on bass wow yeah it- i'm gonna take you back for for track two Dan, I'm going to ask you to tell me, please, the first song you remember hearing had an emotional impact on you, please. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's really hard that because I think, I think every, I think music ha- has always had an emotional impact on me. I mean, my whole life is music, and I think that to every record, in a way, impacts emotionally. I mean, I could, you know, if I. I was watching some reruns of Top of the Pops and, and from the 70s, and it was triggering memories. Things like Sailing, Rod Stewart, or Wings, Mullikintyre, or, you know, just the odd songs that I didn't really remember were there, but they are from, from I don't know where from, but they're there, so they definitely trigger memories. I, I think them two songs you mentioned there, because I've never considered them being part of mine, but you just saying both of them records there. They were seven inch records that were in my house growing oh, right. up and were always on. I think they were obviously they were just huge, huge hits, weren't they? Yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, they would have been on the television and the radio and, yeah. and and so I think, you know, these these things I'm always fascinated uh some songs just find themselves in the fabric of of, of our lives. And it's like I've I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but a few years ago now, I was just driving along with the kids in the car and uh, I'm probably listening to one of the sort of absolute retro stations and um, an Aztec camera somewhere in my heart come on, and, uh, which is a, a absolutely brilliant pop record. And my, my daughters were singing. And I just thought, how on earth do you know this record? <laughs> like, how has that found its way through? And I'm just fascinated that there's some records that... Both of them that you've just mentioned, if they come on, I know I would sing along to the words because, yeah. and I've never bought them records. I've no, probably not heard them for, for 20, 30 years, but I know that if they come on, I would know all the words because they're just, yeah, I think of the, of the time that they come out, they were such a, you just uh, maybe overexposed to them. I don't know. I don't know. But I know they're yeah. not your choices anyway. Sorry, I've digressed. No, no, no. I mean, the, 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 the big thing that really affected me that I can, see it as a as a as a as a springboard for what becomes my life i guess it was getting i discovered in our house there was a a a, a grundig quarter inch reel to reel tape player and i remember putting on these tapes and what it transpired to be was the store the radio one in 1970 did the story 
of the Beatles. And my dad had recorded it on quarter inch. And I worked out how to make this machine work with the two reels. And on came the, you know, John Paul, George and Ringo talking in those kind of funny voices, telling jokes and, 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 uh, and, and with the posh guy who, who, who introduces it and narrates the story. And it just went through this. And, and the thing that probably, for some reason, it's Please Please Me by, mm. by the Beatles. And that, that whole, the joyousness of that song and then hearing these four characters talking and telling their story and doing it off one another like a comedy group was was really affecting and and the other one of the other reels that was in this bag uh was in a it was in a like a start right uh shoes bag there was like tapes in there and the other another reel was the white album which would be a really and i was probably about seven or eight i reckon and that would be my first kind of emotional connection to music that I was making for myself rather than the radio or the television was making. And I, so the White Album, I mean, that's an extraordinary record to be listening to as a young kid. I mean, that's a heavy record, isn't it, for, 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 for that age? Right. Yeah, so, 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 so it's coupled with that story of the, the story of the Beatles. And, and I don't think all the episodes were there, actually, but, and that and the White Album. So that, yeah, they're definitely that's, big emotional connections and then and yeah and then i mean we'll get on to school but school becomes the the major player in all of that i think listen up i've only got another new sponsor egg fried it's this super cool clothing label and if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all supporting the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D. Save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at egg- Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Eggfried.com. But around the time when you was... Uh, you know, you was exposed to that sort of that them them reels and stuff like that. Where where was home? Where where was where was the uh, the early years for you, Dan? Uh, Solihull, Warwick Road, Alton, Solihull, two eight one Warwick Road. Wonder <laughs> 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 if I remember my phone number. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do. <laughs> well, I lived there until I was about um, eighteen, and then I moved to Mo- Mosley via Winchester for a little bit. So Solihull, yeah, good place to grow up. Uh, was it a good place to grow up? I mean, anywhere's a good, you know, you're just a kid, aren't you? So, uh, not by the time I was older, no. I mean, but I, I, I've, I've formed some, my best friends come from Solihull. Um, but, also, but you know, uh, what's Solihull like? It's middle class in a lot of places. It's blue rinse, purple rinse women, <laughs> you know, the and, uh, it's a place to kind of escape, I guess, really. And by the time I was a teenager, it was trying to get into Birmingham and and the fear of Mosley, because apparently they had drugs there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, look, you, you touched on school, so let's, uh, for track three, let, let's talk about that. Um, can you tell me, please, Dan, the song that reminds you of uh, your time at school, please? I mean, there's tons, there's tons. because You, you can have some honourable mentions, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, every single year, as I'm sure all your guests have said and you would say, every year, practically every month, every week, every every new chart, something's changing in yours in your relationship with music. So, like the school disco pig bag, Papa's got a new brand new pig bag. I loved it when that came on. You know, not understanding at that age, at 11, 10, 11, 12, what it was that was drawing me to it, but there was something rhythmically very, very exciting about that. And um, uh, uh, I remember we had a, uh, early in our first year at school, you had to do, let's uh, come on, speakers. We're in the kitchen instead of Booting my amp to make the sound. It's literally like, it's like talking to Dave Davis, just kicking the amp, trying to get a better sound out of it. <laughs> I remember in the first year of school, they said, uh, well, you, everybody's got to try and earn points for the house for music. And we were all like, we're not doing that. And they said, no, you can do anything. And some bright spot said, what, anything? Except they would have got... Uh, um, and, and they said, all right, then. So that he came in the next day. This cool kid called Stephen Reese came in with a cutout from looking of the lyrics of Too Much Too Young, the specials. And, uh, and he kind of taught it to us. And then with about four or five of us went up to the front of the class and all sang Too Much Too Young, you know. <laughs> I never even heard the record when I was there singing it. That's, so that's a big memory. Um, but I think probably, if anything, the person that really connected with me was, uh, was Billy Bragg. Uh, and uh, I went to a party and the, and the classic thing happened that somebody put on Billy's first album, and it, and it was like, oh, that's a bit odd, and and uh, and it was all dirty and strange. And then after about two minutes, somebody said, 
I don't think it's right. Go and check it. And it was at the wrong speed because his first album plays at 45, not yeah. at 33. So, and then the next day on the bus, by mad coincidence, coming home on the 893, somebody on the top deck had a cassette player and was playing Live Soraya. And I remember going, that's Billy Bragg. Wow. So the, the cool kids on the back seat of the bus are playing it. And it was at the party. And I went into Birmingham on Hurst Street and bought... Uh, Live Soraya and Brewing Up. Uh, yeah. So Brewing Up was out. And, uh, and, the, and the song that got me was Saturday Boy. Yeah. And, uh, which is about Billy in double history twice a week and with a girl not old enough to shave her legs. And, uh, and, I, and she, he looks up in the dictionary the word unrequited, unrequited love. And I, I had to look it up. I was, I was pretty thick at school. So I looked it up too and I thought, oh, wow. There's a, that's me and a girl I fancy. That's unrequited love, and and it all fell into place. And um, yeah, and then I wanted to go and see Billy play. He's playing at the Powerhouse, and my parents wouldn't let me go. And I was really, really uh, angry. And they said, "No, he'll brainwash you." I said, "What? What do you mean?" And I said, "He's a he's a he's a left winger. He's, he supports the Labour Party." And, and my parents bowed at the altar of Margaret Thatcher. You know, and that was how we were being brought up. And and uh, and I said, that's ridiculous. And, they, and in the end, after two weeks of arguing, they said, if you, my mum said, if you get every lyric that Billy Bragg's ever written and show me all the political references to it, then I'll decide whether or not you're going to be brainwashed. I thought, right, I'll do it then. And so I got all the records. And then I remember saying to her, look, this is stupid. If I've read all the lyrics there... Why am I going to get brainwashed if I hear him singing? And so in the end, they let me go. And um, and it was an incredible gig and it was broadcast on BRNB. So I've always had the tape of it because, well, I nicked it off a friend after actually because he had taped it. But, uh, and I, I met Billy in later life and uh, doing one of my books. And I told him the whole st- story. And, and I have a copy of Life's a Riot. And it says to Dan, I'm, I'm glad I finally brainwashed you. <laughs> Oh, how incredible! Yeah. Oh, wonderful! And it's and it's really weird. Like, um, I, I, I mean, was it, was this around? How early into Billy's career was Red Wedge? How, how far into Billy's career? Yeah, was that was that around that time of like brewing up, or was it after that? Yeah, you know, it's after because he does the minor strikes eighty four, eighty five. Then he yeah. does between the wars. Right. And then Red Wedge tour is January eighty six. Right. Okay. Because uh, I, I was... How old are you, Dan? Do you mind me asking? No, 51. Right, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 48. So I kind of missed that that kind of early Billy stuff. I, I kind of come to it a bit late and then went back. But when I went... I, I, it was kind of... What was the first... Valentine's Day is over was the first Billy Bragg song oh. I heard. And, uh, and yeah. then bought... Um, Oh, what's the album? It's not talking to tax man. That's um, workers' playtime. Workers' playtime. Oh my god! Writing on remand and stuff like that. It was like that album blew my mind. That and, yeah. and f- waiting more- for the great leap forward. Oh, like oh, hang on. There's some others. Some crack. The t-shirt. Uh, the revolution's only a t-shirt. T-shirt away. away. <laughs> oh god! Like I, I saw. It was the last gig I saw before for lockdown. Was Billy? Oh really? Came, yeah, good? I went to Cambridge. It was brilliant. It was around the time of the election, uh, and and Billy was touring, and I went to Cambridge to see him, and uh, oh, it was brilliant. And to hear him play, 
I mean, my, my, Valentine's Day is over. He's, he's one of my favourite Billy songs, as he's Saturday Boy. Uh, uh, but Tank Park Salute, and he played it, and it just... I don't Actually, think... I don't get that song so much, really. Oh, really? Uh, I know, it I know blows my mind, that record. Like... That's his dad, isn't it? He was in the, uh, the Army yeah. Tank Regiment. Mm. And I asked him, when I, I wrote a book called Isle of Noises, which is conversations with great British songwriters from the Kinks through to... Laura Marling, but Billy was in the middle there somewhere. And I asked him, what does, what does Tank Park Salute mean? The phrase. And he said, some things have to remain private to a songwriter. And he said, that's one of them. But he did relate how many people at his gigs, he can see, you know, weeping eyes from people you wouldn't, from West Ham fans. <laughs> I think you're saying that that's not that's not that's a rare thing. <laughs> and 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 yeah, and and the, the big thing, you know, discovering Billy Bragg. You're the first person who's chosen a Billy Bragg record, I think, on here. So, like, do excuse me if I get overexcited because I'm, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm a huge Billy Bragg fan. Um, he sings like people I know talk, and <laughs> it's like, all oh, right, okay, so he sounds like where I'm from. And and that yeah. was really because I know loads of people that are like, I can't fucking listen to this. His voice just does my head in, and it's uh, like because some people just don't like it, and I get it. I get it because it's quite a unique voice. But for me, ah, oh, it it just it, it speaks to me. Billy Bragg's voice. I think it's just beautiful in the way that it's ah, oh, and 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 I think that the 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 um. Don't Try This at Home, wasn't it, was the album with... Uh, oh, dodgy record. Do you think so? Uh, it goes off, I reckon, there. Production, right. Production goes out the window a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, well, the drums have come in, even though it's a 90s record, and there's, a, there's some dodgy covers on there. But in amongst it, there's some, there's some gems, absolute gems, and the lyric writing's as strong as ever. Yeah, Everywhere's on there, which I think's beautiful. Um, being up all night moving the goalposts, oh... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, uh, yeah, and I, I don't know. It looks like Robert De Niro. He tries to admit some But I looked at that, and at that point, I'd got this. You know, I, at my like, you know, early nineties. It was like I'd, I'd just gone full on indie. So for me, it was like, there's Kirsty McCall. That's Johnny Marr playing guitar. Yes. It was like, this is everything for me. This yeah, is like yeah. brilliant. And then at the time, my favourite band for them, many, many years after that was R.E.M. And it was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's Stipe oh, and, and, and Peter Buck. Um, my neighbourhood is with R.E.M. Yeah. <laughs> with Phil Jubitus in the video, who lives down the yes. road. It's like, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Phil Jubitus, isn't he in the... Um... The next video, that, that that video that Billy did not all those years about uh, the painter decorator song. Do you know the one I mean? Uh, it may look like I'm reading the paper, but these ideas are turned to gold dust later. <laughs> what, what song's that? That's a gem. Um, Is it on that album? No, 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 no. Sorry, I've jumped. I've jumped thirty years. Uh, right. To, uh, to um, oh god, my mind's gone blank. Right in to Stew with it. Billy Bragg song featuring Jupiter's at DIY DIY shit. Name that song of wind. Oh, so wonderful. from the Brick Backdrop. <laughs> brick Bat's one of my favourite Billy yes. Bragg songs from uh, later on. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, and William Bloke. 
That yeah. album about is about Juliet is who we married and Juliet. Juliet is a brilliant person, you know. She manages Billy now, but she used to manage the selector, and oh, she really? helped organise the first two tone tour. And she's got wow. a brilliant, brilliant life story. She was involved in all the pre-stuff for um, Step Forward Records and Sniffing Blue and in the punk at Dryden Chambers where all that punk stuff was happening and then graduated to work with Rick Rogers around Two-Tone and Trigger. And then she ended up doing stuff for um, Wayne County and uh, Toya and then did the Selector and then worked at Go Disc in the, in the 80s. Bit. And, then, and, and she tells a great story that, that where... Um, well, it's not a great story, but where, uh, where Trigger was, the Two-Tone office was next door to Chiswick Records. And Chiswick Records had on Billy Bragg's first band, Riff Raff. Mm. And so that they should have met in 1979, but didn't. And they, they've, I think they've, they've mapped out their relationship of the chances that they could have been together, but didn't and, until they got together in the 80s. But there's a success story of love. They're still together now. Oh, lovely. And lovely. we're getting on a real Ballybrick trip here. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, how did you get on at school? Did you enjoy it? Do you know, it's funny because my mate Steve was on this the other week and I listened in, Steve Craddock, and he said, right. if you say you like school, you're weird. <laughs> I was like, well, Steve and I went to junior school. We went to different big schools. Right. Uh, he went to Lowe's Heath and I went to Tudor Grange. And I remember coming home in the fourth year of Tudor Grange, year 10 now, and saying, oh, I love school. But I was a, I was, I, 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 it was like a, um, it's like the Peppa Pig house. You can go all the way up to the top, which I did in the first year of school, and then I went all the way down the hill thereafter and was in bottom set five for most things. And I just became a dosser. And, yeah. uh, you know, like nicked the school keys. We had the master keys and locking teachers in and robbing things and setting thick fire to whatever. So I had a, just a, do- a very dossy time at school. And, uh, and, and then in the, about the last year, I semi got my act together and I got well just a scrape four O level so I could move on. But it was a yeah, it was a laugh. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, you got a load of load of you know, it's like twelve hundred kids and mostly yeah. you're there to doss around and you're all sharing music and you're playing football every break time and lunchtime. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to be had there's a lot of fun to be had. <laughs> and who'd have thought back then that Craddock would have ended up being in the fucking specials. <laughs> I know. Mental. I know. The Fun Boys specials. I can't get my head around that still. It's like, because the specials mean so much to me. They've, they, you know, they've, uh, they've this, yeah, I mean, I've, I, I kind of slightly obsess a bit on the specials. I mean, Jerry Danvers keeps going, oh, Daniel, you know more about the specials than I do. I'm a bit worried about you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care because you were telling me that. <laughs> you know, but, no, but, but seeing Steve do it, it's not, it's not right. It should be yeah. Roddy. And it was yeah. Roddy. And, and so as much as I'm really proud that Steve's doing it and he's got himself a gig and he loved the specials too, it's not right. You know, there's seven specials and there aren't seven specials now. And so the specials ended to me with Ghost Town, and then there was a variation with the Special AKA, which is brilliant, and then there was the Fun Boy Three, which is brilliant. But then, but there's never been the specials for me since. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Okay, first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. Uh, Adam and the Ants, both times, Seven Inch Pro, Prince Charming, LP, Kings of Our Frontier. I lived on White Road, and uh, and just up the road was Dove House Parade, 
And in Dovehurst Road was the newsagent, which Joe Gallagher opened. No, he opened the chip shop next door, actually. He was the blues, he was blues's uh, defender. The chip, no, the, the, uh, the, the newsagent was opened by a filler player, I think. Maybe that's why I didn't go there at first. Anyway, that's Blues Villa <laughs> stuff for you. Um, uh, it, it had a rack inside the newsagent, one of those turning racks, and it used to have ex-jukebox singles yeah. for 69p. Um, and uh, I didn't have any money, really, I don't think. And so that was a big thing to have 69p. And I chose, uh, yeah, Prince Charming. It didn't even have the cover, and it didn't have the middle in the record either. Um and which, uh, yeah, uh, uh, and then I remember bringing it home and I'd already heard it because Mike Reader played it. And uh, and then I asked, and I didn't have a record player at that point, and uh, to use the family record player, which was in the, the posh lounge downstairs, which we, we which were only for very special people, which weren't us, <laughs> weren't the kids. You know, to use that record player, had to, I had to have permission to somewhere well somebody had to put the record on for me and then I had to wait and at the end of the record they were turning I'd had to call somebody down and they were turning over for me. But when but my brother had a record player upstairs and uh, and I brought it home and I and I went on Ben's door and said, Can I play my record? He said no. And he was he was a rocker. So he was no way he was gonna let me play Adam Yan. So I I remember I went and told on him. And so my mum came in the room and said you let Daniel put on his record. And so, uh, so, so I had to stand there while he ceremoniously and, be- and hugely begrudgingly put on uh, the record and then sneered at me as it, as it came on, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no, this isn't as good as stand and deliver. It doesn't sound very good. And Ben's sneering at me. And Sue's so going, it's rubbish, it's rubbish. I goes, great, it's brilliant. <laughs> so it's like, and then it got to the end and, I, and, he, and he took it off and kind of went to throw it at me. And I said, no, no, you have to play the other side. And there was another row and he wouldn't let me. And my mum said, you've heard one side, that's enough. So, yeah, I mean, Adam and the Ants. I mean, to... I... I mean, as, as somebody that that that, were, were, that you know grew up watching Top of the Pops and things like that, to see Adamant on Top of the Pops was so exciting because like nobody looked like that. That was just yeah. an what a pop star! Like just yeah. looked so exciting, and you know, for a six, seven, eight year old, however old I was, like it was fantastic seeing Adamant and the specials, and, and 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 obviously Madness as well. Seeing like Madness looked like the blokes that grew up where I lived, like always like mucking around in videos. It was like <laughs> just, just fantastic. But yeah, I think, you know, that those early Adamant records. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I, something doesn't make, it, it never kind of makes sense to me, uh, why I could like Adam and the Ants and I could like the specials and I could like madness. And it's because as you grow older, you develop filters, don't you? And, and you, but when you're younger, all music's just music and it doesn't have to make sense. And, it, and uh, most of the sense, I think, came because the, the cool kid at school liked the specials and then liked Asim and the Ants. So that was all right for me. But the idea now of those two bands don't fit at all. And in fact, if I'm really truthful, I think I found it difficult to like the specials at the beginning and I found it a lot easier to like madness. And I think, and I thought about this 
And and I and what it is, I I reckon, is that madness talked about uh, things that, as a kid, as a school kid, you could relate to and understand. So baggy trousers, the idea of, of a, a plastic cup on the back of your head by the school teacher, you, that's happened to you that day. And then, and and you know, in all their songs, like oh, it, it's about your life. And as a as a younger boy, the, what the specials were talking about made sense to me a bit later on. Yeah, it wasn't aimed at 12-year-olds. Not that Madness was aimed at 12-year-olds, but their lyricists in that band had a very rare ability to write about their lives with truth and simplicity, and that's no easy thing to do. And they did it time and time again. Such a talented septet, is I guess what we call yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well... Let's move things uh, forward. And for track five, I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that soundtrack to your years clubbing, please. You know, when, you, when I read this, I kind of resisted it. I thought, I didn't go clubbing because I thought clubbing was... Everyone fun. says this. Everyone says this. Like, yeah. like, I, like I'm going, tell me, tell me that summer where you had your shirt off and glow sticks in this chrome-laden club. It's like, no, not at all. This can be going down the dirty, sweaty indie night. It can be anything where you had a good dance with your pals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. I thought it was dance music clubbing, but... Um, uh, Fool's Gold had a big had a big was a big turning point for me as uh, um, you know that crossover indie dance as it was called then. I remember dancing many many hours to that record whenever it's irresistible to come on to. Um, I started clubbing going to clubs rather when I was sixteen. I remember going there. Was, Birmingham had a brilliant place called the Sensitaria, which was a mix of when I first heard the Velvet Underground and Iggy and the Stooges. They played that kind of music that was really really weird. Um, and then when I was about um, early 20s, uh, there were in Mosley, Birmingham, there were two brilliant clubs. One was the Mosley Dance Centre on a Friday night. And then the other one was this phenomenal place called Sweat, which Steve was talking about on your show yeah. a few weeks ago. And it was like the, yeah, the, the kind of the acid jazz mixed in with a old late 60s, early 70s soul and a, and I think he mentioned Matar, Indian uh, rope Indian vibes. vibes. Yeah, yeah. That, that was played a lot. That was a really, really great track. What's, what's the deal with that? Because someone's told me there's Weller was on that. He did a version of it. Right. But I don't think they played uh, Paul's version. They played yeah. the original version. But I've got, I've you... got the white label of that Matar 12, and it soundtracked my club for about uh, three years because no one else had it. Like, right. I certainly ran Essex way, and it was like... This oh, well, way, I could never find it. So uh, I've got a really thing. lovely white label of it, and nice. that was the one, and it sounds great with Fool's Gold as well. Oh, does it? Like, it really mixes well <laughs> with that, and that would always be the tune where someone would come up to the booth and go what's this like week in week out and it'd be like oh yeah it's called matter indian vibes you won't be able to find it anywhere it was that little moment of elitism where i just thought yep that's the one record i've got that no one else has got <laughs> and then but yeah it's, it's a cracker sorry i sorry i interrupted you there Dan. no no not at all i mean the joyous thing about sweat was that it, it was people were, were largely wearing kind of adidas gazelles flares secondhand flares from you know uh from you could get there's a couple of secondhand shops in town um, that were good and they were just dark, very tight-fitting T-shirts. And there was a couple of... Beads. Th- They'd always be beads. 
Beads. I don't remember beads, but there you are. That's maybe an Essex thing. But I remember that there was a couple of mates that were particularly friends with Steve, I think, actually. Boo and Danny. Danny became the DJ for Ocean Colour Scene. And, and Little Helen. Those three and a few others could really dance. Really, they looked so, so cool dancing. And they had these great... And the dance fitted that style of music. And the club had a couple of walkaway ways around the top. It was the back of the Institute. And I'd spend hours just standing on on the railings, looking over and occasionally having the nerve to go down and stand near them and try and copy them. A bit like the face in Quadrophenia, you know, when they all centre around <laughs> yeah. the stage and they're trying to do it. And, and, it, and he looks rubbish, doesn't he? But, but it's the way everybody's looking at him. You know, it's great. Uh, but it, that, that was really great, great place, actually. And, it, um, and then, I mean, Ocean Colour Scene did a gig there. I've got that on videotape, actually. It's brilliant. Wow. They, do, they do a few Small Faces songs. And it's before um, they've made it. Um, it's, it's in the dip in their career. And they're doing a lot of the songs that will be on the next, on Moses Shoals and the one after Marching Already. Um, and it's kind of weird because... And I think Paul played it, as I remember. But it, live music didn't quite work because you wanted, you wanted because the dance record sound is so good through the system. And then when a live band comes on, it didn't quite match the sound, you know, sonically. But it was still, it was a magical place. I think it was every two weeks and a guy called Des ran it. And he also ran the scooter shop, Grand, Grand Sport, I think it was called. Good place. And, and I think Fool's Gold, to this day, still... <laughs> Still doesn't sound like any other uh, Stone Roses record, uh, and just sounds like it's from like out of space. I just think I think the connection is. Sorry to interrupt you. So, did I interrupt you? No, no, go on. No, no, sorry. There's a, there's a, there's is it? There's there's a Supremes track. I think it's up the ladder to the roof, and okay. in the middle of that, there's a break. There's a breakdown where it goes to wah guitar and a kind of that backbeat that James Brown beat. And I and, and I think that's the blueprint of the record. I've never read that, but if you wow. listen to that, if you listen to it, it's, it's, it's almost identical. And whether or not it was or wasn't doesn't really matter. But it's, it's called uh, up the ladder. I think it's uh, the ladder to the roof. You can find me. Yeah, it is that song. Yeah, Supremes with uh, with Mary uh, Wilson singing. I think not not Diana Ross. Maybe I might maybe wrong about that, but uh, but that yeah. But so there is, I mean, the, yeah, but the track's fantastic, isn't it? It's really brilliant. And there was something about the roses that captured, I think, our generation's imagination because the music scene was struggling to really go somewhere. It had things like House of Love and Wonder Stuff and, you know, in the guitar world. And they, they hadn't quite gone far enough in a way. And, and, and dance music was really taken over and rap had really come in strong. And you just wanted something with guitars. And then when the roses came and the way that they looked, they were just so cool, weren't they? So, so cool. And then they'd had the great singles before, things like She Bangs the Drum but and the first album. But Fool's Gold was something entirely different. And you really got a sense of what the rhythm section in that band was doing on that record. And, yeah, Ridiculous. very, very exciting. But but in, interesting enough, I think I bought the seven inch first, and the seven inch has got what the world is waiting for on the That's front right. cover. So I thought that was the A. And I remember I bumped in before I bought it, bumped into this kid on the street called Tom, and he had it, Tom Collins, and he had and I, I, the record. And I was like, wow, what was he like? Goes it. The one song great sounds like the roses. The other one's a bit weird, to be honest. I don't know if you'll like it. And I, 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That was fool's gold. Wow. I mean, being from where you was from, like, did... did um. Did the wonder stuff and that, did they kind of find their way onto your stereo? Yeah, I love the eight-legged groove machine. Mm. Um, and they, uh, I mean, not, they're, they're not from where I'm from, although I think they're from Starbridge. But right. Miles Hunt, I think, lived in Marston Green for a while. Yeah, I'm uh, sure he did. And uh, that's not too far from Elmden Airport, Solihull Airport. Um, so, uh, yeah, I really liked them. And then, and then um, uh, they recorded their early stuff. Uh, like Kitchen Money After Baby at the uh, Redditch Workshop. And uh, um, uh, that, and then we went there. Well, I went there with the Fanatics when they recorded their first few demos and EPs. Uh, the Fanatics is the band that Simon Fowler formed before Ocean Colour Scene. So there was, okay. and there was the same producer, Dave Morris. So I was really excited because it's like, the stuffies were here. And I was, Simon's going, don't call me the stuffies. You sound really pretentious. <laughs> 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 I picked that up from college. It's like, I, uh, I, see, I, I, think, I think they're massively underrated, the Wonder Stuff. I, I yeah. think they, they wrote brilliant pop songs. Yeah. Really did. good pop songs. That, that, like eight legged. Unbearable. Oh, what, what a single. That yeah. is an absolutely cracking single. And uh, yeah, uh, that, uh, again, being the age I am, that, that, that band meant a lot as well. That was. Size of a cow. Oh, Don't let just, me down gently. Don't let me down. Oh, amazing. Like, yeah, great, great indie floor fillers. Um, yeah, I've got, the first, I've got the first three albums, and I liked all of those. And then they, they kind of went off me after that, I think. Yeah, Maybe the yeah. third one was beginning to go off, actually, after Never Loved Elvis. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, let's take you home, and uh, I'm going to ask you for track six from a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Uh, so this is tricky because my home county was originally, when I was born, was Warwickshire. 
mm-hmm. which is Solo Hole. And then there was that act of gerrymandering when a, polit- when a political party s- changes the border to split voters, to split the voter, the voter. Do you know about this? No. And so this happened in the mid-70s. So if you change a boundary line, you potentially draw a line through a sect of voters. And if you do that in the right kind of way, you could say, for example, in a, in a, in a Labour stronghold, split the vote, put half and half in with in an area where there's a strong Conservative vote. So the Labour vote becomes meaningless. And I, they gerrymandered in, uh, in the Midlands. So where Solihull was originally Warwickshire, it became Birmingham. So or West Midlands. So I'm not. I wasn't quite clear. Well, not clear from you, but I wasn't. I'm not sure what my home county is. But then I just thought, well, four, three doors up from where I was, was is my best mate Simon Simon Fowler, and uh, and so it, it 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 has to be if he's if he's there and he's my home county and he's and he's given me so much joy in my life from the music he's made and just be, and um so I just pick any I could pick absolutely anything with Simon singing on it and it would just give me utter joy because I adore his voice and um and but the the track that really there was a couple that really really got me when I was 16 where um he wrote a song called I but I would imagine that if anybody's an Ocean Colour Scene fan they would know the song as Foxy Folk Face, I think it's called. It's on this on the Marching Already album, or it's a B-side. I'm not sure, uh, but it wasn't called that when he wrote it. And he always used to say later he changed the words to be about Paul Weller. But it, it, it originally it was just this acoustic thing he'd written when he was 16, and it was wow, what a song! It really used to. Do you know it? Do you know? Do you know Ocean Colour Scene songs? Yeah. And it goes, I think everybody's yeah. after me. Um, they want to know just that pushing wires into my nose, pushing wires into my nose, all that. Yeah. You know, just imagine what it'd be like if a news reporter came to talk to you. So that was a real big one. And then, um, and then the one I've chosen is a song in the Fanatics, as I mentioned, that they they were, they got really big in the Midlands um, and were playing like the Irish Centre, a thousand people, which is where we saw the Roses the first time. So they were, and then got a deal with Chapter Twenty Two. Um, and they didn't record. They recorded this song at the Redditch Workshop, but they didn't release it as a single. It's called "Back on the Road," um, and it, it's just fantastic. It's like a slice of mid '60s pop in in um, kind of uh, at just two and a half, three minutes. Brilliant chorus, just from the first bah, bah of the drums uh, uh, to the, the chorus "Back on the Road." Uh, well, yeah, that used to tear me up as a song and. Uh, I don't, I don't think Ocean Colour Scene ever did it, except right at the very beginning uh, when the fanatic, when Steve joined and they became Ocean Colour Scene, the first eight or nine months they were mostly playing fanatic songs. And so, yeah, but that was, that. yeah, it would be that back on the road. So I don't know how people can listen to that now, but there must be a way. Okay, we'll have a look on YouTube and I'll put the link in the, the bio if it's on uh, on YouTube anywhere. Um, it's not on Spotify. I did check. Uh, oh, Okay. Uh, and I, and I couldn't find it on there. Um, so for your last song, um, I'm going to ask you to tell me a, a song that many people may not know, but you would like them to hear. Uh, I'm divided between two tracks. and I really Throw didn't... them both in. Throw them both in, Dan. Come on. Um, 
in the early 90s, Damon Minchella, um, bass player, um, made me a compilation tape, a C90 of rap. And there was all stuff like Public Enemy on it and NWA. And uh, just trying to get me into a different style of music and stuff that he'd listened to. And I struggled with most of it. Um, and have done ever since, really. But there was one particular song that really stood out by a band called Syndicate, and it's called Simple Jealousy. Uh, and it, uh, Do you know it? I don't know. No, uh, it was just this... Uh, I think they're a trio, and it was a, a woman singer, a f- kind of very fast, chatting lyrics, but very, very musical. Simple jealousy will get you nowhere. Just a matter of time. You know, with a real hip hop um, backbeat to it. And uh, uh, yeah, so I really fell in love with that song. And um, But I remember buying the album quite a long time after. I didn't like that so much. So I was signed to Virgin. I don't think Simple Jealousy got any higher than the top 40. Um, and it had a, the 12 inch had an extended version. That, that was all great. But then, but then the other song was. Um, um, as you've kind of noticed, I, 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 you know, I, I, all through the 90s, I was living with Simon and, and on and off with Steve. Um, and uh, when they started hooking up with P.P. Arnold, Pat used to come around the flat and, uh, uh, in Moseley, and, um, which was uh, brilliant because, you know, she had all, she, she, was, she, she loved rum and had all these medicines, herbal medicines. It was like, she was, it had, I think she was setting up a business. It was like rum versus medicines. And, uh, and it made me get, explore a lot of her older records. And I remember coming back one time and telling her, I've just bought this record of yours. It's written by the Bee Gees. I said, it's one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. And she was going, oh, Daniel, and, and started singing it to me. And she said, because there was a verse in it, and it was about uh, achieving something, but financially never getting any reward and still being on Skid Row. And she said, that's been my life. And so it was a very, it was like he'd spoken, Barry Gibbett or Robin, whoever written or Morris had, had um, spoke, been prophetical about her life. And the song's called Bury Me Down by the River. Starts off with Morris's bass. Great intro. Um, and, and then... Uh, and then it's a very soulful song. And then, as you imagine, Pat's vo- vocals soar over the top by the time it gets to the, the chorus. Um, I think it was late 60s, early 70s, probably, possibly in that period where the Bee Gees split, you know, where Robin went his own way for a wee bit. Um, it's still on Polydor, and I think it's got all three of them as songwriters, but it's absolutely magnificent, really Wow, wow track. And I, I used to do a bit of DJing in the Jug of Ale in Birmingham, in Mosley, and then a, a place in town in the 90s. And I'd always play that, just just for me, really. You couldn't yeah. dance to it. But <laughs> it's it's a those. beautiful record. It's a beautiful oh, you know it, record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, vocal is just different level. It yeah. really is. It really is. I'm all right in saying that the recent album Steve was involved with heavily, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he... Yeah, I mean, he, he, he made the whole thing happen. I mean, yeah. I don't see Steve as much anymore. I mean, we just every so now and again or occasional chats on the phone. So I don't know, I don't know the story wholly, but, in, I mean, in the late 90s, he'd started working with Pat anyway, and they recorded a great version of Different Drum, the Monkey song. Mm. Uh, and, but the, the version on the new album isn't, that, isn't the same version, which was a shame, because that original one was 
better, I think. Mm. But they, I think Steve wanted to pick up where they left off when the project didn't go anywhere originally. And then, um, and then he also wanted to make the, the second immediate album that, you know, Pat had made the first one, but hadn't followed it up. And he wanted what would be the next thing. So, so I think he was, so one of his songs is actually on there, which is one of the best songs on the album, actually. Is it, ba- do you call it Baby Blue? I'm not sure. And then there's a song from Bur- from a Birmingham band when the time that we were kicking around in the 80s at the Barrel Organ by a band called The Boatyman. There's one of their songs on there, I think, as I remember. I haven't listened to it for a few months. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a great shame because although Pat's singing great, you know, you can't be singing as you were when you were in 1968 Obviously, or 69, yeah. can you? There's a vocal change. But she's still got something very special. And, you know, there's also that nutty song on that album, the Bob Dylan yeah. song, Woody Guthrie, which I remember Steve tried to pull off uh, in the 90s with Robert Carlyle, the uh, Begbie. And he really? Wanted, yeah, he asked him to do it and to do it as a spoken word piece. It, that all came because Simon bought um, the first Bob Dylan bootleg album you know, the bootleg series one to three. Yeah. The first one that came out. And Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie was on that album. And Simon loved it. You know, when we were stoned late at night after being down the jug, he would always be putting it on at two or three in the morning, just tripping off on that. And I, and I didn't know Steve was, I got into it so much, you know, I never had him much as a Dylan fan yeah. that much at that time. But, um, but yeah, so Pat's version is very, very odd. But it's, it's it, and I think she took a bit of persuading but yeah. it was a brave record to do. But, but you know, Steve's going great. You know, he's always worked and always yeah. tried to push himself into different directions with different artists. It's, it's good for him. Absolutely. Well, what we do is we, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast. Uh, so we'll put all of your, cho- uh, your, your, your song choices on there and, and some of the other records that we've, we've, we've spoken about uh, through this chat. So, Daniel, as we find ourselves... As, as mentioned at the beginning, hopefully on the way out of this bizarre situation we found ourselves in for the last year or so. Um, what are you looking forward to from 2021? Uh, just what my books are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, excited, I'm really excited when a book's about to come out. Uh, I mean, it's an extraordinary situation where uh, I've got about six exciting things happening. Uh, the, the, I've just curated... Uh, a selector reissue of Too Much Pressure, which has just gone to number one in the vinyl chart. Um, and uh, so I wrote all the liner notes and, and put together a three-set CD. Uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the final disc has got them live at Tiffany's on the two-tone tour, and it's just magnificent. Nobody's heard that ever. Not even the band had heard it. So it's like, wow. So that's really cool. And I've also helped as a guest curator, do the two-tone exhibition, which opens in Coventry as part of the Cultural City at the end of May. Where, uh, where's that? At the Herbert Museum. Is that where there's the... Last time I went to Coventry, I went to a museum where the, near where the uni is and there was loads of special stuff in there. Is, is it that where it was? Uh, it, possibly not. There's the two-tone village, which is outside the town. It the wasn't Herbert there, museum. but I know where that is, yeah. Oh, OK. Or maybe this, there was stuff in the Herbert Museum, like yeah. other specials, I don't know. But, yeah, they're doing um, uh, a retrospective of two-tone. And, they've, oh, and so, we've, so Jerry's, I went down there the other week and, and t- 
took loads of his archive and I've got stuff from the Body Snatchers and the Selector and uh, I spoke to Suggs and members of Madness and, and all, there's all loads of, so that's been great fun doing that. Um, oh, incredible. Uh, and then I've, what else happened? There's a paperback of Rankin Roger coming out. There's a paperback of a book, a third book, Don't Look Back in Anger. And then in August, this is my two new books of, of work, uh, Oasis at Nebworth, this uh, picture book that I've done to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Nebworth with, with the photographer Jill Fermanowski. So I, I approached Jill with the idea and she unlocks all of her archive and has pulled out hundreds of photographs that have never ever been seen of the weekend and Noel, Noel sanctioned it and gave us a quote and, and, and so that's really beautiful and looks really exciting. And then at the end of August, I've written um, a book uh, called Like Some Forgotten Dream, which is what if the Beatles hadn't split up, what would have been their next record wow so that's been joyous to do i mean that's quite a busy year <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> yeah exactly and if people want to kind of keep up to speed on where they can find out about all of this where's the best place to to, to keep up the speed with you daniel well, you'd hope that if the press, if the press department have done their job, <laughs> if you're their doorstep. <laughs> yeah, you can always find someone, can't you? Just bung in somebody's name into, into Google and you'll find all the relevant things, I'm sure. Wonderful. Daniel, thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's been lovely talking records with you. Yeah, I hope I haven't rambled on too long. Okay. Not at all. Because it's very emotive talking about your childhood, you see. So I'm Absolutely. talking about people that hang out with and, and and you know it makes me ramble and get a bit overexcited so i hope that's okay absolutely fine thanks mate there you have it ah oh, wonderful absolutely wonderful um just great finally get to talk about billy bragg which was great uh just a fan in the knowledge and it makes me yeah makes me happy when people share that kind of um obsession and passion for for, for records and yeah, it was a, a, a delightful natter. Um, so, yeah, thanks again to, to, to Dan for giving up his time. Um, go and check out... Uh, I mean, finishing off by just going, and then I've got this happening and this happening and this happening. I mean, there is no shortage of exciting things um, coming out uh, from Daniel. So go and, um, yeah, go and get stuck in. Go and have a look. Uh, and also, while you're uh, having a look about, have a look in the back catalogue of this podcast because uh, there's 300 episodes now that you can get stuck into from all your favourite musicians, actors, comedians, DJs, producers. Go and have a look. Everything else you need to know about this podcast is at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. We're on all the socials, so if you see us anywhere, give us a like, love, share and a retweet. And I will see you next time. Be excellent to each other. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Eat a